Amen. Great job. Would you give it up for Brooklyn? Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, Salt Company, my name is Jared Call. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to get a chance to meet you. Uh, if you've never seen me before, I get to be on staff here at Doxa Church. Uh, I was on staff with Salt Company for just a little while. And, like, I haven't been in this space in a couple weeks. And, it's, and it, it's crazy, right? Like, at the end of last year, we started talking about how I'll be transitioning off the staff a little bit. And I thought, like, man, this is going to be good. Get some time back on my schedule, right? But I'm like, but I miss coming to Thursday nights. Right, like I, I, I miss coming here and seeing y'all, man. Like I want y'all to know, like, like, like this is one of my favorite spaces to be in, right? Not only to preach the gospel, but just like the, the community here, man. Like the, the vibe, the air that's here, right? People, young people who want to come here and worship Jesus, right? Like this is an anomaly <laughs> in a lot of spaces around the country, right? And I want y'all to know, like, like what you guys are doing here, committing your lives to, to growing in the gospel in the context of family while, while, while being pushed into mission where you go on camp this like not everybody is doing this okay like I know it can feel like you're coming here on a Thursday night maybe sometimes checking something off the box maybe going to connection group throughout the week but just know the Lord is at work and he's doing something as you guys are coming to this space right um, and I'm excited for y'all to get some time at fall retreat this weekend right everybody who knows fall retreat is is is, is popping man and so you're gonna have in a phenomenal time you're gonna have a ton of fun uh, but I just know the Lord's gonna meet y'all in a real fresh way there uh, and I've been praying that for you actually Okay. But hey, I want to jump right into the text. I want to get back going into our series. Uh, we've been in this series called uh, these I am statements of Jesus. And tonight we're going to be finishing up that series. And I want to tell us the statement that Jesus is going to be talking about tonight. And he's going to be saying this in John chapter 11. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Like, I love this phrase that Jesus says, right? Like, he talks about this idea of resurrection. We know about this idea of resurrection, but I love that he actually puts himself, like, in the space of the resurrection. He's saying, hey, it's not just this thing that's off in the future, this distant reality, but you're looking at him. You have faith in him. You have faith in the resurrection. This is what Jesus is saying. You see, one sense, I'm hyped to talk about the resurrection tonight, right? There's, there's literally no greater hope in the Christian faith. If you have your faith in Christ, you know that the thing that we look forward to most is being raised and being with Jesus forever in eternity. But at the same time, I, I'm kind of torn because as you read this chapter in context, right, Jesus says this not out of like this robust, hey, I'm here, I'm the Savior, I'm coming to save. But there's actually tragedy going on in this chapter. There's hopelessness in this chapter, We'll see some of that here in a minute, but, but before I jump in, I kind of want to just let us know something about tragedy in and of itself, and it's mainly this. You weren't made for it. Like, I know sometimes you walked in here, right, and it feels like you maybe come here with your spirits a little bit low. Maybe something's happened this last week, or maybe something's going on this semester, right? You come here with your spirits a little bit, bit low, like you've experienced something in your life that's kind of brought you down. But I want you to know that that's not what God made you for. He's made you for a purpose. You are a child of his. He didn't make you for tragedy. <laughs> like, yes, you might experience it. And honestly, like some of us might experience a lot of it. But the reality is you weren't made for that. Like God created you for life. He created you for hope. He created you for glory. He created you for eternity. But here's what's true. Because of sin, out there... <laughs> 
and in ourselves. We have to understand that, right? Sin is in this world, yes, but sin also lives in me. Because of this, often we experience tragedy. And when we experience tragedy, what happens is it often leads to hopelessness. So I get in this message tonight, right? Like here's the question that I kind of want to drive our time. What do you do when you feel hopeless? Or maybe put it a different way, like what do you do when you experience tragedy? We'll be here in John chapter 11, and for a lot of us, this might be a similar passage for us. Uh, we're going to hear about this guy named Lazarus, right? Those of us who know Lazarus, we know Lazarus was the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. And this might be all we know about this story, but I want you guys to know that there's actually more to what's going on here. There's an in-between that happens in this story, and I want to spend some time talking about that just a little bit tonight. There's going to be two women primarily that we'll be seeing here, one named Mary and one named Martha, who actually happen to be the sisters of Lazarus, right? Lazarus is their brother. But not only that, they happen to be really, really good friends of Jesus, and yet here they are walking through this here tragedy, so what I want to do for the rest of our time is lean into this story and learn a couple things about how to respond to hopelessness and tragedy in our lives. We'll begin right, reading right here in verse 1. It says this, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. I want to pause right here for just a moment. And I just want to give us some background on where we are right now in the text. See, just before John chapter 11 and John chapter 10, Jesus has been going around, right? And, and one thing that he does in John 10 is he begins to talk about his identity. And what he says in that chapter is, hey, I and the Father are one. He's claiming this level of deity, something that the people around him at the time didn't believe and something that a lot of us in our day don't believe either, right? It's, it's hard to ascribe divinity to Jesus, but Jesus, I want us to know, undoubtedly claims that he himself isn't only the son of God, but he himself is equal with God. He is God himself. And as he was saying this, what happened was people rose up. They actually grabbed stones and they were trying to stone Jesus, <laughs> But Jesus and his boys, they, they fled away and they leave this town. And so right now, they're actually really far from Bethany, this place where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. And so when Lazarus gets sick, we're right here in the text that we are. He's nowhere near Bethany. And so Mary and Martha have to send a messenger to even find him. And so they send this messenger to tell him, hey, he whom you love is sick. This is Lazarus. And I want us to see, right, there's this kind of desperation that we can kind of see jump off this page uh, from these women, right? Like in this moment, like Lazarus is sick. And his sickness had to have been pretty bad, right, because they're looking around and they're not going to any doctors. They're not looking around for any home remedies. They're not looking around rummaging the cabinets for the essential oils or nothing like that, right? I thought, hey, we need a miracle worker. We need to find someone who we know can do something about my brother's sickness, so they look for Jesus. They send a messenger to him. Lazarus didn't have very long. 
But Jesus says this strange thing here at the end of verse 4. Look at this. It says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. See, Mary and Martha wouldn't have heard Jesus say this. Right? But just imagine if they did. Like, Jesus, what are you on about? My, my, my brother is sick. I, I get it, man. You, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. Cool. But hey, my brother's sick right now. I need something. Could you just like come back? Can you do your thing? Like, like, like this isn't supposed to be. See, maybe you've been in a situation like this before. And something was wrong. You desperately needed someone to help you, right? Some people to offer you help. But maybe like they, they ignored your situation. Or worse yet, maybe they gave you some, some wrong advice, right? Or maybe they just pushed it aside. They gave you some platitudes about Jesus, like came to you and said, hey, have you prayed about it yet? Like, yes, I prayed, right? And I need $300 from my rent or I'll be out there like in the next month. But I don't think Jesus was trying to be disingenuous here. I think he was trying to do something different. I think he was trying to make a bigger point. I think it's this, that sometimes, sometimes, right, we can get caught up in the circumstances in our lives. Like we can get caught up and used to the normal way that life is for us. And we can get caught up in the comforts that we have so much so that we don't realize that at any moment in our lives, it can be taken from us just like that. See, listen, y'all. Life is crazy, right? Where we're young, we're in college, we're college age, right? We haven't lived a ton of life yet, but I, I, I would say to you, it doesn't take living a ton of life before you realize that there's hopelessness and there's tragedy in this world. Like there will be times when you will lose the things that you felt so certain about. Things that you have a solid grip on now may not be here two, three, five years from now, right? Like you'll lose relationships. People will pass away. Your vision will get cloudy. You'll doubt the place that God has you in right now. Like these things will happen. Even the places that you prayed to be in, once you step in there, like you'll grow weary. You'll have hopelessness instead of joy in that place. And what happens when we experience this. See, often like the people in our text, when we experience hopelessness and tragedy, it can impact the way that we feel about God. You see, our default response is to think that God is far away in our hopelessness. That God has left Bethany, he's miles away. He's got a trek of four days journey. He's nowhere near. He can't help me in my circumstance. We think he's not near. See, most times when our hopelessness and our tragedy, when it brings us pain, our first question is this, where is God? If that's you tonight, do you want to know where God is when you're walking through tragedy? <laughs> when you're walking through your dark night, when you feel like you're stuck at the bottom of the pit, do you want to know where Jesus is? He's right beside you. See, the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 34, 18, he says this, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I love what Jesus says in the Beatitudes in one of his famous sermons, right? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? Because he says, it is to them that the kingdom of heaven belongs and it is to them, it is them who will be comforted. See, this trial that Lazarus is facing 
Jesus wants them to know this won't lead to death, but it will lead to the glory of God. And guess what? The trials that we face won't lead to death either. And they will also lead to the glory of God. Let's continue in the text. Look at verse 5. It says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, hey, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are wanting to go there again? And Jesus answered, hey, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, then he will recover, right? They're still thinking about their lives. They've been crazy back there. They still got stones. He will come back. He will recover. And now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, no, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. It's a weird response if you ask me. But let's unpack kind of what's going on here, right? Like, like Jesus is about to go back to his friends and he's saying, hey, let's go back to Judea. And his, and his disciples are a little worried about this, right? We just saw in the text that, like, these people just tried to kill Jesus as he was back there, right? So Jesus going back and hey, this is a little premature, don't you think, Jesus? Like, we should probably wait a little bit longer. And if Lazarus is really asleep, like you say, he'll be fine. Let's just stay here. Like, we'll, we'll come back later. And I kind of love, like, like, like Jesus, he's, he's always giving, like, these little statements that no one can quite really understand, right? And he gives one right here. It's this weird statement of Jesus. Where does he say it, right? It's right here in verse 8, right? The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the, Jesus, the Jews were just seeking to stone you. You want to go back there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? He said, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So this is hard to understand. What he's doing here is he's alluding back to John 9. And it's here where he talks about the works that he's come to do from his father. And what he's basically saying is that, look, hey, there's still time on the clock. There's still work that needs to be done. There's still something that I have to do. Like this will be the raising of Lazarus. This will be the last miracle that Jesus does before he goes to the cross. And so he knows his time is coming soon. But he says, hey, that time hasn't come yet. And before it does, I have more work to do. We have to go. And then he gets even more clear, right? He's like, hey, remember that guy I told you that was asleep and you're really confused about that? He's like, he's, he's not really asleep. He's actually dead. <laughs> right? That's why we're going back. This is another confusing thing. In verse 15, he says, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. He's literally saying, I am glad that Lazarus tasted death. <laughs> and this is why, so that you may believe. See, there's something here that they are getting at. See, but Jesus wants to go so he can show them, right? Like, and, and I love this, right? Thomas has this reaction. 
He's the spokesperson here for the disciples. It's usually Peter, right? But here is Thomas, and he says this, hey, let us all just get up and go so that we may die with him. Right, Thomas is one of those guys that's really hard to pinpoint. You don't really know what kind of personality Thomas has got. Like, is he doubting Thomas back when he was doubting the resurrection? He had to touch the, the holes in Jesus' side to touch his, touch his hand, right? Or is he like this courageous cat right here who's like, yo, we can face whatever, Jesus, we going. Right, like, like, which Thomas is it? Is it courage here or is it not? Is it, is, is, is it fear here? Is he walking around like an Eeyore? Like, well, I guess we got to go down with Jesus then, right? Or is it like, hey, let's go, man. I, they can't really hold us out here. Like, like, like which, which Thomas, what Thomas is this? But here's what I think, right? I think no matter how you look at it, I, I think Thomas does struggle with this reality of, of hopelessness. Like there's this hopelessness that kind of wells up in him. And as we look at the rest of this text, we'll start to unpack the hopelessness in Mary and Martha too. And as we do, we'll see what we just read in Psalm 34, 18 in action, right? Like in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of tragedy, what does Jesus do? He draws near. And when he does, here's what I want us to see. There's two things that he teaches us on how to deal with it. And I want to unpack those here from the rest of this text. The first thing is this. He teaches us to receive truth. Look at verse 17. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And when many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said to her, listen, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, yeah, Jesus, I, I, I know. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus looks at her dead in her face and says, no, Martha, listen, you don't get it. Not in the last day. He says, I am the resurrection. He says, I am the life. And whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me actually shall never die. He says, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Salt Company, do you believe the same thing that Jesus was trying to tell Martha? Do you believe that he is the resurrection? Do you believe that he is the life? Y'all, the resurrection changes everything. Everything about who you are, everything about what you do, everything about what you believe about yourself, the resurrection changes it all. It corrects what has been wrong. It does something to you. It gives you a new identity. It gives you a new place. It gives you a new state of being. If you believe in the resurrection, you are no longer just a normal person walking around this earth. But no, you are a resurrected person. You are a person who was in Christ. The resurrection changes everything. Y'all, when the truth of Jesus becomes so big in our lives, the tragedies of life become so small. See, all of a sudden that breakup doesn't really matter anymore. See, all of a sudden, that argument with your mom you had last week doesn't really matter. The fact that the semester has been a little difficult, right, doesn't really even matter. 
when we put our eyes on the resurrection, Jesus will raise us above the circumstances in our lives. This is what is true. See, I've been going through this memory verse with some students here at Salt Company. There's a handful of you who should know this. It's in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And this is what Paul is reminding this church of in this text. He says this, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on this earth. Why? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Right? Jesus is teaching us right here that when we receive the truth about him and our circumstances, we can operate with hope. This is what's true. If we can receive the truth about Jesus, it not only changes everything for our eternity, but it changes everything for our now. The second thing he teaches us this is that we can also shed tears. Let's look at verse 28. It says, when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Great question. You see, I love how this interaction here with Mary really kind of balances out this interaction with Martha. See, when Jesus approaches both of these women, they're, 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 they're suffering, they, they, they're, they're struggling with hope. They've just witnessed tragedy. He models two important responses for them. One, he shares truth, and the other, he sheds tears. Right, this part of the passage, like how is the shortest verse in the Bible? It's in verse 35, and it says this, that Jesus wept. See, a lot of scholars have uh, like super spiritualized this, this part of the text, asking, hey, why is Jesus crying right here in this moment? Like, isn't Jesus the son of God? Doesn't he know he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Why is he crying? Doesn't he know what he's about to do? Some say he's crying because he's mad at death, and he probably was, but others say he's crying because his, his heart is broken for the people who don't believe that he's the resurrection, which is also probably true. But here's what I also think, and I think it's just as importantly as both of those points. Jesus was crying simply because his friend died. See, Jesus models for us here truth and tears. He models hope and heart. He comes to Martha, and what he does is he speaks truth to Martha, but he goes to Mary and he cries with Mary, both a needed response in the midst of tragedy. See, we can respond with tears and we can respond with truth. 
Hopelessness doesn't beg an either or situation, but a both and situation. Because tears without truth are hopeless, but truth without tears is heartless. And therefore we are called to show our heart with our tears and we show our hope with truth. I want to share a story quick of how this has worked out in my life recently. Now, some of you know in the room, uh, my mom passed away just a couple months ago. Um, in 2022, late 2022, she uh, suffered a heart attack um, and she never fully recovered. In March of 2023, she passed away. And it was one of the hardest things I had experienced in my entire life. 68 years old, she turned 69 the week after she had passed. That's young to me. That might not be young to you, but you'll know when you get there, right? But there was something about my mom, and there was something about going to her funerals that gave me hope. My mom had a relationship with Jesus. And that was the only thing that literally got me through. Like my mom, who served as the rock in my family for umpteen years, she was the one now looking at me from a casket. And I had an opportunity to do a couple things. And you know what I did? I fought to believe in the truth that Jesus is risen. And I shed tears as I looked at my mom going home. The only thing that got me through those moments <laughs> was the resurrection knowing that she had faith in Jesus and knowing that she was going to be raised with Christ and knowing that one day that I would see her again. So Salt Company, like what if this was our most common response to the tragedy in our lives? Like when we're feeling hopeless, instead of questioning God, instead of saying, hey, God, where are you? Like what if we reminded ourselves of this truth, even through tears, that Jesus has risen? Like my life isn't what I want it to be, but Jesus has risen. My, my bank account is low, but Jesus has risen. My parents are getting a divorce, but Jesus has risen. I just lost a loved one. Hey, but Jesus has risen. Like what if this story that we're reading about the, the raising of Lazarus, what if this just isn't some story about a dead guy coming back to life, but about Jesus providing proof that he is greater and that he has all power? this is exactly what this story is. See, this story isn't so much about Mary and Martha. It isn't even about Lazarus. This story is about Jesus. Pick me up at verse 38. It says this. And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people who are standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out of the tomb, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with the cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind this man and let him go. Praise God, y'all. 
Y'all, this is the power of the resurrection. Not only this distant thing that happens off in the future where everyone will be raised who believes in Christ, but this power in the present that has power even over over our current circumstances. Y'all, the resurrection of Jesus proves that Jesus redeems our greatest tragedies to bring us life and to bring him glory. But as I close, I kind of want to shed light on this elephant that's kind of in this text right here. See, some of us in this room might struggle with this idea that Jesus would actually let people suffer. Like if God is good, why does he allow suffering in the world, right? Like he, he knows Mary and Martha. He knows Lazarus. These are his really good friends. And it even says in the text that oh, Jesus loves Lazarus. So we have to ask this question, how can this be a loving thing to do? How could you do this to your friend? How could you put a family through this. Here's the bigger message. See, Jesus' love in the midst of tragedy shows us that there's something even more beautiful and glorious than our comfort. Right? It's coming to this knowledge and this understanding that Jesus is God and in him is all power. Right? He has the power to overcome everything. He has the power to overcome your circumstances, the power to heal, the power to raise from the dead, and the power to raise you from the dead with him, even as he ushers you into eternity. See, this story is about us realizing that greater than us, experiencing comfort by receiving all the things that we think we should have, greater than that is coming to this profound and robust knowledge of the saving power of Jesus Christ. And he can't love us any more than that. See, anyone can speak truth to someone who's in need and anyone can shed tears for someone that's hurting. But you need more than that. Yes, you need to understand truth and yes, you can shed tears in your circumstances. But you need to know, I need to know that we need even more than that. Because listen, Lazarus will actually die again. He was raised from the grave, praise God, but he will live a life and he will die again. And guess what? You will also experience pain again. And this lets us know that our greatest tragedy isn't in our own circumstances. It's not in what happens here on this life. Our greatest tragedy is in not knowing who the resurrection is. And of all the things that Jesus wants to speak truth to, out of all the things that Jesus wants to shed tears for, He wants to speak truth to and shed tears for this the most. He wants us to know, those of you who know his story, that through blood pouring from his pores and being hung wide on a cross and tears flowing from his face, that he is the resurrection. See, Jesus lived for his friends. He inconvenienced himself for them and he rose for his buddy from, and he rose his buddy from the grave. But even more importantly than that, Jesus lived for you and he died your death. (laughs) He rose himself from the grave so that he could say to you, I've conquered the greatest tragedy of all. I've defeated all of hopelessness. And if you believe in me, if you follow me, then you can have this too. Resurrection life, but not only that, resurrection power. Like your tragedy and your hopelessness never having the last say. And as we think about that, so I want us to 
wherever you are, would you bow your head and just close your eyes? Just for a moment of prayer and reflection. No one's going to come tap you on the shoulder if you're new here. No one's going to ask you to raise your hand. But I just want us to ask this question. Do you know who the resurrection is? Are you aware of the resurrection life and the resurrection power that is accessible to you through believing in Jesus Christ? Are you aware? Like, did you know that, yes, there is tragedy in this world? Yes, we will all experience hopelessness. And yes, we have the right and the freedom to pursue truth in that, right? To receive truth. And we have the right and the freedom to shed our tears. We can mourn. Jesus does not disallow that. He says, yes, I even model that for you. But are you aware of who the resurrection is? Are you aware that your comforts in this life are not the things that to, to ultimately lay hold of? but it's your relationship with Jesus. Do you know this? Do you know that the things of this life will come and go, but the things of Jesus will last forever? Do you know this? Do you know that you have a God who's not distant from you? Do you know you have a God who sits in the muck and the mire with you? Do you know that you have a God who comes down to the pit, who consoles you, who wraps his arms around you? Do you know a God who has been tempted in all the ways that you have been tempted and yet not sin? Did you know he is perfect? Did you know he can save your life? Did you know he is the resurrection? Oh God, Jesus can give you life. Jesus can give you power. Jesus is the resurrection. If you take some time, would you think about that? Think about how you need Jesus' resurrection power in your life today. Pray to him, and I'll close us in prayer in just a second. you allow us to receive that there's nothing here more important than you not our dreams not a relationship not a circumstance not an opportunity there's nothing in this life that's more important than you these things will fail us They'll let us down. They will be the source of our hopelessness. They will be the source of our tragedy. But you, God, no, you prove to be the source of our life. You prove to be the source of our joy. Would you allow us to receive that tonight? 
God, would you prove to be the one that sticks closer than a brother? Would you prove to be the one, the almighty counselor? Would you prove to be the one that sees us, who walks with us, who guides us, who comforts us? Would you prove to be the one? Would you prove to be the resurrection tonight? Would you raise someone up from the pit this evening? Would you raise someone up into eternal life this evening? Would you do it, Jesus? It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.